We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Thank you, choir. You may be seated. Now your Bible is open to 1 John chapter number 5 and verse number 4. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. If you were to ask me to give you my favorite Bible verse, I think maybe I might give you this one. Now I have other favorite verses, but I don't know of any verse in the Bible that's meant more to me personally than verse 1 in chapter 5 of 1 John. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Wonder how Mr. Armstrong gets around that right now. You don't have to wait till the resurrection. You're born of God now, right now. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now, I'm a child of God. Because uh, Armstrong says you don't get born again till the resurrection. He says the Lord was born again when he came out of the grave. How fouled up can people get? A man that uh, so twists the scriptures and wrestles the scriptures to that degree, I wonder if he's being taught by the Holy Spirit. I'm not his judge, but I, the Spirit of God doesn't teach me in that fashion. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's pretty clear, brethren. Amen. And you believe that Jesus is the Christ. You receive that and accept that out of a heart of repentance and with a heart of faith, and the moment you accept that and receive that, to them God gives power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe upon his name, which were born, not of flesh, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God, John 1, 12 and 13. How wonderful that is. But whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now may I say this to you that love the Lord, Sometimes the old devil will come to you and threaten you and tempt you uh, and nag at you uh, to believe that maybe you're not born again. We sometimes call that doubting. And I don't know what everybody, sometimes or other, in your journey will have some of that problem. Doubt. It's a common experience. John the Baptist had it when John was imprisoned after he was uh, uh, preached uh, the sermon to Herod and Herodias. He'd not been in prison long until he got his own disciples together and sent them far to find the Lord. And they said, he said, when you find Jesus, ask him if he be the Messiah or do we look for another? Now, here's the greatest man that was ever born of a woman, John the Baptist, doubting. Not sorely, but doubting. And then old Thomas, one of the twelve, and nobody would denounce the integrity of Thomas. So far as I'm concerned, when I get to heaven, I believe Thomas will be there just like Peter and Paul and James. Thomas, he said, I'll not believe in the resurrection except I see the nail prints and thrust my hand into his side. We, some, we call him Doubting Thomas because of that. Well, sometimes or other, you're going to have those clouds of doubt that's going to come upon you. And I wanted to say to you that this verse can become an anchor to your soul. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, there may be some things that I'm not sure about, and there may be some things that I don't understand, 
but I'm certain that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't have to make myself believe that. I, I believe it. I just believe it with all my heart. I don't have to ask myself, do I believe that? I do believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that he was virgin born. I believe that he's God incarnate. I believe that he was sinless in his life, that he was vicarious in his death, and that he was victorious in his resurrection, and that he's going to be triumphant in his second coming, and that he's going to be all powerful in his literal reign upon the earth, as we've studied in our Sunday school lesson today. I believe that about the Lord. Now, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's it. And assure your heart with that, please. Now, everyone that loveth him that begat loveth also him that is begotten of him. In other words, if a man loves God who begat Jesus, then that man, if he really loves God, will love him who was begotten of God. In our days, sometimes I hear people talk about God, but they ignore the Son. And with high, great sounding words, they talk about God. I, I read just last week a statement of, uh, well, I guess you'd call it the statement of faith by the Alcoholic Anonymous Group. Now, I don't know anything about the Alcoholic Anonymous Group. Uh, I suppose they do some good work. I've never been directly associated with them. But uh, an article fell in my hands, and in that article it gave uh, what the Alcoholic Anonymous believe, the people that promote that organization believe. And there wasn't one single remote mention of Jesus in their articles of faith. Now they talked about God, and they talked about being right with God. They talked about loving God, and they talked about going to church on Sunday. And they talked about going to God's house, but wasn't one mention made of the Son. Well, you can recognize why that that group would do that. That's not a church group. It's a it's not supposed to be a religious group, I don't suppose. But anyway, uh, if they mentioned Jesus, they would offend the Jews. Well, are we Baptist people? Well, the Jews just have to be offended as far as I'm concerned. If, if confessing Jesus as Lord offends a Jew, he's just offended. I wouldn't back up. I wouldn't compromise. I wouldn't water down for, for a Jew in the world. As far as I'm concerned, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I, I couldn't recommend Alcoholic Anonymous for that one reason. Because they ignore the sun. Well, I could give many other illustrations. You go down to the Lions Club right in our city. Or to any other civic organization. And nine out of ten will talk about God. But they'll ignore Jesus. Now, if you look at verse 1 again, it says, Everyone that loveth him that begat. Now, that's God. Every man that loveth God that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of God. It's utter impossible for man to love God and not love the Lord Jesus. It's utter impossible for man to witness for God and serve God without witnessing for the Savior. Now if that's treason, you make the most of it. But that's what I read in that verse. And if your Bible is a King James translation, that's what you read. And I believe that's what the Bible is saying. It's foolish to talk about a man being right with God who isn't right with God's son. It's foolish to talk about a man loving God who doesn't love God's son. And if you love God, you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you love God. Amen. Right. Verse 2. 
By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now the text in verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now to me this is another great verse of scripture. Whatsoever is born of God. Now we folk at Tabernacle profess to be born of God. We profess to be born again. If I were to ask for a lift of hands, chances are 98% of this congregation will put their hand up and say, yes, sir, pastor, we've been born of God. You don't deny it. You rejoice in it. You revel in it. You thank God for it. Why would I deny the new birth? If a man's not born of God, he's not saved. He's not right with God. He's not ready to die until he does become born of God. And whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now, we call that perseverance. Presbyterians use that word a great deal, perseverance of the saints. And uh, sometimes we call it eternal life. Sometimes we call it everlasting life. And sometimes we call it eternal security. Some people call it holding on. and call it what you may. When a man gets born of God, he overcometh cometh the world. Amen. Now he may be affected by the world and I'm going to preach about that in a moment. He may be hindered by the world and I'm going to set that forth to you. But in the end if he's born again he'll come out on God's side. That the idea that a man can be saved and then lose it is not taught in the Bible. I believe that when a man is born of God's spirit it's an eternal transaction. And you, you may lose the joy of it and the repercussions of it, and the melody of it, and the fellowship of it, but you'll never lose the reality of it. Never. Uh, in the Bible, God himself set up the analogy between the physical birth and the spiritual birth. All of us have had a physical birth. That's how you got into the world. You didn't come down from the clouds, or you didn't come up from the earth. All of us got into the world the same way through our mothers and through our earthly father. And we had a natural physical birth. I can't deny mine and you need not deny yours. We're all in the same family. All are the children of Adam and our mother Eve. And we all got here exactly the same way. Now that's, that we call the physical birth. I have no reason to deny that. I'm rather glad that I'm alive. I never have seen the day that I wasn't glad that I was alive. I've had some dark days and some valleys and some trials and temptations, but I've never seen the day but what I wasn't glad I was alive. I've enjoyed life. He that would love life and see good days, and I love life, and I want to see good days. Life has been a benediction to me. I enjoy living. I enjoy my wife, my family. I enjoy Brother Melvin. I enjoy you as a congregation of people. We have a good hour together, good fellowship together. What could I have more in life than I now have? You say, well, you can have gold and silver, but I have things better than gold and silver, my friend. I have grace and truth. And I'd rather have the Lord in my soul than have all the gold and silver in the world, you see. Life has been good to me and you that are saved in God's grace. It couldn't be better. The best thing ever happened to you 
is to be born again. Life has been wonderful, and I've enjoyed living, and I have no reason to become unhappy that I'm alive, and more than that, I have no reason to be unhappy about my physical birth. Now, I was not born to a wealthy man. I was not born to a highly educated man. I was not born to a great political personality, a social personality. My daddy, and you know him, is just an humble man. My dad has no wealth. My dad doesn't have a great education, not at all. I don't know how much, but my, my dad never graduated from high school. He's not a highly educated man. My dad never, never was powerful in Greenville County. He never served on the city council, and he was never mayor of our city. He was never an executive of a bank or director of a bank. He's just an ordinary down-to-earth man. But you know, I'm not sorry at all that he's my dad. There are a lot of men in Greenville that are greater by earthly standards than my dad. But I'm completely satisfied with my dad. And you're satisfied with yours. Isn't that wonderful how God makes us content with what we are and who we are? And I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm satisfied with my physical birth. Now, I could never change it. If I Suppose I would become dissatisfied and I got angry with my dad and disowned my dad and, and cussed him out and forsook him and never spoke to him, never visited him anymore. Wouldn't that be silly? That's crazy stuff. Normal man wouldn't do that. I, I'm satisfied with my dad and, and I have no desire to change it. Not at all. I, I expect to sit on this pew right here at his funeral. And I'll be glad to do it and own him then as my dad. I'm not ashamed of him. I appreciate him with all my heart. I'm saying to you that I couldn't change it if I were not satisfied with him. Nor can you, you see. He gave me my life. And it will always be that he's my father. And it shall always be that I'm his son. Now that analogy is set up in the Bible. 47 years ago, God gave me my new life. And that moment, he became my heavenly father. And I became his son by grace and faith. And I have no desire to change it. And if I would entertained the notion that I wanted to change it, I wouldn't know how to start about changing that. I don't want to change it to begin with. But if you had any idea of changing it, you couldn't change it. You say, well, I'll quit God. You won't quit God no more than you can quit your daddy. He's your heavenly father. You have the seed of God abiding within you. And the Bible tells me that me and you are born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed that liveth and abideth forever. And you can never change the fact that you're a child of God. Well, look at the last part of this verse. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. Now I want to speak to you for a moment on the way of defeat. Now I haven't talked about defeat so far. Everything I've said so far has been very positive. And the new birth is positive. The new birth is powerful. The new birth is present. The new birth is prevailing. The new birth will never cease to operate. But it's possible for man, having been born again... To lose the joy of his salvation. To lose the fellowship of his salvation. To lose the excitement of his salvation. To lose the victory of his salvation. 
Now I think I could bring many Bible illustrations forward. Number one, look at David. Somebody said, well, David really was not converted until chapter 51 of, uh, of the Psalms. No, my friend, you know better than that. I believe David was God's man when old Samuel anointed him to be the second king of Israel. I believe that he was God's man when he fought for Saul and fought in Saul's army. I believe David was God's man from the time he was a young man till he died. He was God's man. But one day he lost the joy of that salvation. He allowed defeat to be predominant in his life. He did that which was wrong and wicked and sinful. And as a result of it, lost the joy of his salvation. He didn't ask God to restore his salvation, but he said, Lord, restore the joy of thy salvation to my heart. Now David lost it. He traveled the route of defeat. Then, number two, how about Samson? You won't find any fault with Samson. You'll find his name, by the way, in the Hall of Fame of the Heroes of Faith in Hebrews 11. Samson, great man, great judge in Israel. And I'm not prepared to doubt Samson's salvation one bit. I believe that when we get to heaven, along with David, we'll find Samson, the mighty giant of a man he was in the nation of Israel. Don't you agree? But there was a day when Samson toyed and trifled with Delilah. And as a result of that, lost his power and lost his victory and had to grind at a mill and died prematurely because of his defeat as a believer. Howbeit his hair began to grow again. And just before he died, God restored Samson to his original power and glory, even in his death. Samson didn't lose it. He was God's man all the time, but he traveled the route of defeat. How about Peter, the apostle? Peter who said, Lord, if all the crowd forsake you, I'll not forsake you. Peter who lashed that sword out in the garden of Gethsemane and single-handedly waded into the enemies of our Lord, lashing that sword and swinging that sword as if he was going to fight a one-man war. And he cut the ear of the servant of the high priest off in the process. And Jesus reached down and picked that ear up out of the dirt, performed a miracle, put it back on the man's head, and said, Peter, put up your sword. They that live by the sword will die by the sword. Put it up. Rebuke Peter. Said, get behind me. Put it up. And Peter got angry. I mean, he got plenty angry. He said, if that's all you appreciate me, you can fight your own battles from now on. I'll not risk my life for you anymore. And the Bible says Peter followed Christ afar off and followed him up to the house of Caiaphas. And instead of going upstairs where they tried the Lord at that Sanhedrin court, he sat in the basement with the servants all night long. Peter sat in the basement and warmed his hands by the fires of the world and denied that he knew the Lord three times. You think he lost his salvation? Not in my thinking. I believe Peter was as much God's man in that tragic moment as he was when he lashed out that sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he lost his joy. He lost his victory. He became defeated. Now it's possible for man to arrive at that sad state in life. Now God forbid it would happen to me and you. God forbid. How is it that sometimes Christians become defeated? We that have the Lord within our hearts and I mean have eternal life. We that cannot be lost. If you've been born again, you can't be lost. 
And yet sometimes even God's people become defeated. How is it? Why is it that God's people become defeated and carnal and compromised and uh, backslidden in their own hearts? Now I'm not talking about losing your salvation. And I believe further than that, and I think I ought to say this at this particular point, if a man is born again, he's not going to stay away from God a long time. Peter, just one day. David, just a short time, relatively. Samson, not many months until all these great found their way back to fellowship by the route of confession. 1 John 1 and 8 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, I write these things unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, you're not going to stay backslidden long. And if you, I had a man come to me one time, he said, I used to be saved. I said, that's good. I said, you're not saved? No, he said, no, I've been, I've been backslidden 15 years. He said, I've been away from God 15 years. Well, I doubt if the man ever was saved. I'll be frank with you. I, I just can't conceive of a man living in a backslidden condition 15 years. I'd rather think 15 days would fix you up. And the chastened hand of God will be put on you so heavy until you'll be glad to come back. You know that old dad I had, and still have, praise the Lord, uh, he knew what it was to lay the lash on. How many of you have ever had your daddy whip you, let's see your hand? The rest of you ought to put your hand up too, and be truthful. <laughs> but my old dad, he, he, he whipped me one time. And I never have forgotten that until this day, and it's been, believe me, a long time ago. In fact, it's been about 53 years. That's been a long time. I was just a little old boy. I mean a boy, not a little boy, but it's a boy. I never was a little boy. I was born big and been big ever since. But anyway, uh, I was just a young fella, and he laid the lash on me. He whipped me. Now, he didn't turn me out into the night. He didn't take the food away from me. He didn't give my bed to some other boy. And he didn't go out of the courthouse and, and disannul my birth and disinherit me. He just laid the lash on me. And then after he laid the lash on me, he's loved me ever since. And he still loves me today. And he always will love me. He whipped me, but he loves me. I've whipped my children, but I love them. And you whip yours. And if you don't whip your children, the wise man of the Bible said you don't love them. I think I ought to say that again. If you don't whip your children, Solomon says you don't love them. You say, well, I love my little boy so much until I just can't whip him. You don't love him at all. Amen. When he does wrong, he needs a whipping, give it to him. Amen. It won't hurt him. God made a place to lay it on. Amen. And that place can take a whole lot, you believe me. And you lay it on. My dad whipped me, and I'm glad he did. Now, the same thing is so with my heavenly father. If I do wrong, God whips me too. And if you do wrong, God's going to lay the lash upon you. And the Bible says if we be without chastisement, we are not sons. Now, am I quoting it correctly, brethren? I sure am. That's Hebrews 12. If a man be without chastisement, he's not a child of God, but he's a bastard. And that's what the Bible says. Now, God will whip you when you get away from the Lord. Sure as you live, God will whip you. You say, preacher, you're threatening me. No, I'm not threatening you. I'm preaching to you. 
And I'm preaching out of the Bible. Not one thing I've said so far you could deny scripturally. God leaves a lash upon his children when they do wrong. God whips them. In fact, chastisement is a clear indication and an assurance of a man's born again experience. And if you can do wrong and not be whipped, then you better examine yourself. You are not born again. You're not God's child. He's, he chastens every son whom he receives. Now, how is it that men sometimes become defeated? I want to mention several things to you. I remind you, first of all, that sometimes people become defeated because of carnality. You allow yourself to be carnal-minded. What does that mean? A carnal mind is a mind that is attached to the world. A carnal mind is a mind that gets down into the gully of things that ought not to be even thought of to say nothing or participated in. A carnal mind is a mind that drags in the dirt, in the filth, in the mire. Now many a person that's been saved in God's grace has allowed that condition to happen. David did when he watched Bathsheba and lusted for That moment he allowed carnality, his old flesh, to have the upper hand. And as a result of that carnality, he traveled the route of defeat. Now, you can't be otherwise. It'd be utterly impossible for you to be spiritual and allow your mind to be carnal. And sometimes men travel the route of defeat because of carnality. Number two, sometimes because of compromise. Men are defeated. Compromise. Now, there are certain things that you and I ought to stand up for. The Bible, for example, and what the Bible teaches, we ought to stand for that. For Jesus, we ought to stand up for that. For old-time religion, grandmama's salvation, we ought to stand up for that. For, for the new birth, we ought to stand up for that. With clean, separated living, we ought to stand up for that. So many churches these days have a compromise, the standard of conduct. Now, we must stand up for holiness. In our Sunday school lesson, we were reminded that the millennium is to be a way of holiness. And the unclean can't go in. Now, we must not compromise. And the moment you compromise, you travel the way of defeat. There isn't one born-again person in this building but what doesn't know the right way. And if you have any doubt about the right way, the Holy Spirit will channel you and direct you and guide you when you come to that point of decision. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. But the tragedy is that many of us, knowing right and wrong, Compromise and take the wrong route. When you know that your compromise is not of God, nor condoned by the scriptures, yet sometimes you do. You compromise. Now we can't compromise with doctrine. We can't compromise with conduct. We just cannot compromise with the liberals and the modernists. We can't compromise with all the religions the clamor to be heard. We can't do that. We must have in an all stand by the ancient landmarks that our fathers have set. Then the third thing I mentioned, sometimes we travel the route of defeat because of uh, complacency. Uh, we're self-satisfied. We've reached a certain point in our Christian experience and we say to ourselves, well, I've come a long way and most of you have. You've grown Many of you a great deal in grace and knowledge of our Lord. 
And I commend you that are strong in grace and strong in faith. You've come a long way. I've watched me. I've watched Brother Joseph. I can use him as an illustration at this point. I've watched Brother Joseph develop. And most of you know about Brother Joseph's experience of the grace of God. About two years ago now, he's been saved about two years. And I've watched Brother Joseph grow until now he comes into my office sometimes quoting scripture to me. I mean, he walks in my office talking like a preacher. Quoting scripture, telling me what the Bible says. And I appreciate his attitude. I appreciate him doing that. Now, when he came to see me that day, he got born again. He couldn't do that. But he's grown a great deal. I commend that. And I commend it in you as well. I commend it in Brother Melvin. I watched Brother Melvin grow from just a young man until the full-grown man that he is in God today. I've watched him grow and mature and become strong uh, in the faith once delivered unto, our saint, unto the saints. And I've watched many of you grow, and I commend you for that. But there is a danger of complacency. When you reach the point that you feel you've apprehended You've gotten as far along as you have any ambition to go. You then choose the, right, the way of defeat, complacency. The theme song of your life and mine ought to be higher ground. Lord, plant my feet upon higher ground every day. Moving on for the Lord, moving upward for the Lord, moving outward for the Lord, growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior every day that we live. Don't become complacent. It's dangerous to be complacent. And then number four, I find some travel the way of defeat because of carelessness, just pure down-to-earth carelessness. The Bible exhorts me and you to watch and pray. Oh, how we need to watch for the devil and pray earnestly for grace to overcome. Watch and pray. Every day, watch and pray. The moment you let your guard down and become careless, that's the moment the devil is going to beset you. You know, the devil is a coward. The devil will never fight you and give you an equal opportunity against him. He's going to wait until you're against the wall, so to speak. Or he's going to wait until you're flat on your back. Or he's going to wait until you're weak. The devil doesn't bring uh, temptations to me where I'm strong, and I'm, I'm strong in a few areas of my life. The devil never tempts me to drink, for example. The devil could never cause me not even take a teaspoonful of wine for my stomach's sake. The devil could never tempt me to take one can of beer. I've never drank a can of beer in my life. The devil could not tempt me to take a cocktail. It would insult me if somebody would offer me a cocktail. I wouldn't be tempted, not one bit. Now, some of you fellas couldn't say that. Some of you would have a battle if somebody handed you a cocktail. But I don't have any battle there at all. But wait a minute. Oh, yes, I have weaknesses. And I know my weaknesses. And so does the devil. And that's why he brings the battle. That's why I wage the battle. At my weak point, the devil's a dirty scandal. He's a coward of the greatest degree. And he's not going to give you an advantage when he wars against you. He's going to attack you at the, at the moment you think least. And at the place where you're weakest is where you're going to be attacked. Now you better watch and be careful and cautious. The Bible says we're to walk circumspectly. The word circumspectly means carefully. Watching, observing. To walk circumspectly, as somebody illustrated, is like, a, like a, a cat, a tomcat on a backyard fence. 
and there's a bulldog on this side and a German police on this side. And that cat knows that if he puts one paw down in the wrong place, he's a goner. And so he walks carefully, circumspectly on that wall. And if he falls either way, he's finished. And so it is with me and you. We're to walk circumspectly, carefully, watching, lest we fall into temptation in the way. Walk carefully. Now to become careless is to walk the way of defeat. And then I mentioned also that sometimes coldness is the way to defeat. Coldness. What one of us in the building have, haven't experienced that on the inside? We know that we've been saved. We know we love the Lord. We know we've been born again. I have no reason to doubt your integrity and the faith one bit. And I don't doubt a one of you. I believe in you and, and, and praise God for you. But what one of us haven't felt ourselves sometimes becoming cold toward prayer, cold toward the Bible, cold toward witnessing, cold about the amount of personal holiness, cold about tithing, and we get a little cold in our hearts. We, we haven't committed any sin. We haven't, we haven't gone after the sin of David. We haven't followed after the sin of Samson. Nor have we committed the sin of Peter. But we're just cold in our heart. Oh, we don't love the melody of the good songs like one time we did. We don't have the joy and the victory on the job and on the street as one time we did. We haven't committed any overt act of sin, but we're cold in our heart. That's the way of defeat. Oh, when you feel that coldness gripping you, you ought to make your way to the prayer altar. You need to go to the prayer room and get on your knees and cry to God for a measure of victory and revival fire in your heart. Coldness is the way of defeat. And then I mentioned two other things. Conformity. Conformity. The way of defeat. Now, I believe the Bible gives me license to preach that if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. If a man's born again, he's a new creature in the Lord. And the old things of this world pass away. I mean, it's just, it's just they fall off of you. You, you get away from those things. You, uh, you change your hitching post. You become different. And if you're not different, I don't know whether you're saved or not. Suppose a man would say, well, I, I'm saved and I want to join Tabernacle, but I still cuss when I lose my temper. Or I still commit adultery when I'm tempted. Or I still drink, drink when I go to a party. Well, he couldn't join Tabernacle Baptist Church. If we knew that a man lived that way, we would not accept him. I would not baptize him, nor would I recommend him to you to become part of our fellowship. A man that's saved ought to be different from the world. Now, this difference ought to be seen in every move we make. Our conversation is different. I just can't sit down and talk the things of the world. I don't think a child of God could engage in uh, filthy communications, dirty joke. You couldn't engage in that. Uh, you couldn't go to the cocktail parties and, and laugh and giggle with those that drink their cocktails. You just couldn't do that. Because you're different. And you could not conform to that. Uh, Paul says, 
that we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, we can't be conformed. And yet I wonder how many Baptist people in Greenville today have lost their victory because of conformity with the world. Oh, God, give us people that will dare to be different to God's glory. Why do you have to be like the world? Why don't you dare to be a Daniel? Why don't you say, Lord, give me the grace to be a Shadrach. Let me stand up for the Lord. Here's a wicked, compromising generation all about me, filled up with sin and lust. Lord, help me to be Daniel in this kind of an environment. Why not? Why not? I think this conformity ought to be in dress. We ought to conform to the proper standard of dress. You say, preach, I wish you wouldn't say that. Some people do. I don't doubt that at all. But I think, I think a woman ought to dress modestly. Right. I think a woman ought to wear a skirt the proper length. I think a woman ought to wear a dress and not men's apparel. I think a woman ought to have a hair fixed like a woman's hair. Her hair is a glory. Amen. Now, I think a man ought to dress the same way. I, I, one reason, Brother Aiken and I, we decided to have no more of these quartets. Now, we can have the Gethsemane come and the Crusaders come, two of the other good uh, groups that, uh, that are not conformed to the world. But I, 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 I'll never have another quartet in this pulpit. You, you put it down with tight trousers on and patent leather shoes and with their hair down over their ears and down over their necks, I'll never have it again. Now you put it down, never have it again. I got all I can take of that. And I'll start singing bass myself before I'll have the quartet scott. <laughs> but I don't think a man ought to dress that way. I think a man ought to dress conservatively. You brethren are dressed in a conservative fashion. And I think a man ought to dress in a conservative fashion. I'd, I'd have no objection to anybody in the world coming to Tabernacle Baptist Church if they were dressed properly. But suppose one of these dirty, blue jean, filthy hippies were to walk in here today. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that's not conservative. I would resent that. I'd, I'd be hurt. I'd, be, I'd feel badly. I'd rather he wouldn't come until he dressed himself properly. Yeah, barefooted, walking down. No, I'd rather you put on a pair of shoes. Why do you have to be like the world? Why, why can't you be conservative and modest and Christian? Why does the standard of you women and you men have to be set by Hollywood? Why don't you dress like your pastor? Why would you get your standard from Hollywood? Why don't you dress like my wife dresses? Why you get your standard from Hollywood? I'm supposed to be your leader. If you want to copy somebody, copy me. Copy Brother Aiken. We try to dress modestly and conservatively. Why conform? The moment you conform to the world, you find that the way to defeat. And we're not to conform by dress. We're not to conform by conduct. We're not to conform by standards, but we're to be different. We're to be separated, clean, different people to God's glory. Amen. Two years ago when the church 
gave the, the banquet on our 18th anniversary at Tabernacle and gave us the beautiful grandfather clock. My boss man was at that, that uh, my older man I ever worked for, I called him my boss man, worked for him 11 years, was at that banquet with his wife. And they're members of the First Presbyterian Church of our city. And she said at that banquet, she said, I've never seen this many men together in one place with all of them have good haircuts. I've never seen that in, in the recent years. Not a long hair in the crowd. And there was three or 400 people at that banquet. And she said, not a one has long hair. She said, I, I can't imagine that. Just can't imagine that. And I was so proud of Tabernacle. And I'm so proud of you. When visiting folk come to Tabernacle, they see you with your hair cut right and dressed right. And you'll never know the standard. You'll never know the influence of Tabernacle in Greenville just from that one thing. Now you go to some of the Baptist churches, the girls got miniskirts. I heard of a Baptist church the other day that had a girl uh, in the choir singing with a bare midriff. With these hip huggers on. In the choir. Trousers on. Blue jeans. In the choir. God have mercy. Young people's meeting. Well, preacher, you got to account for the young people. Brother, I'm not going to pin knife God's word for the young or the old, you see. No, no. Young people ought to dress like the Bible teaches, like old people ought to dress like the Bible. Amen. Now, conformity. The moment you conform, that moment you go the route of defeat. Be different. Brother, we are. If you're born again, you're different. There's no doubt about that. You may not exemplify it like you ought to, but if you're born again, you're different. Now let's be what we ought to be. And then last but not least, criticism. The way of defeat, criticism. You know, it's terrible that some people are born in the objective mood. They criticize everybody. That's sad. And that person can never have any joy. Never have any joy. They may be saved. I'm not doubting their salvation, but I'm saying criticism is a way to defeat. Why don't you be positive? Why criticize everybody? Why find fault with everybody? Why get on the telephone and run your tongue and slander people? Why criticize me? Why criticize Brother Aiken? Why don't you pray for us? Why criticize the church? When we have the largest church giving more money to reach the missions around the world, uh, reaching more people, baptizing more converts in the church in this area. Though we're not baptizing near as many as I love to, yet none of the rest of them equal us. Down through the 22 years, there's not a church in South Carolina that's baptized as many people as this one has. Why fuss at us? Why don't you fuss somebody else? Why be critical? Why be critical? That's the way of defeat. Get on Hallelujah Boulevard. I love Mrs. Turner for many reasons. And one reason, because she's always got a kind word. I've never heard Mrs. Turner criticize anybody. She may not agree with all I preach. She may not agree with all you do, but Mrs. Turner never criticizes. And I admire that. We ought to be like Mrs. Turner. And it'd be good to be like her. She's an elder in our congregation. And I, I, we're the younger. And we ought to want to be like Mrs. Turner. God help us to be that way to God's glory. The route of defeat. God forbid we travel that route. God help us to hold our heads high and lift high a bloodstained banner and move on as champions of the cross in Greenville. May we bow our heads in prayer.
Our Father, help us to lift high this great standard and to preach clearly this great gospel of the grace of God and then to exemplify plainly to Greenville what grace does when God changes the life and gets us born again, puts us into God's family. We're so glad that we're part of God's family. And I pray if there's one person under the sound of our voice today that's unsaved, that you would save them. If there's one here today that's compromised or conformed or become critical or careless or cold or complacent or carnal, I pray that you'd rebuke that one. And may this be a time of heart searching and of revival. May we like Thomas cry, my Lord, my God. May we like Peter go out and weep bitterly over our backslidings. May we like Samson find our hair growing again and allow God to do it again in our lives. May we like David fall upon our faces and cry, I have sinned. Purge me, wash me with hyssop that I may be clean, I pray. Heads about, eyes closed. Have you searched your hearts? We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.